welcome to Fulcrum Transmissions, a Star Wars podcast. Thank you for joining us this week. Episodes will typically be uploaded every Monday and any changes to that schedule will be posted on our Twitter and TikTok at Fulcrum Pod and on Instagram at Fulcrum Podcast. So be sure to follow us on any of those for previews and information about upcoming episodes. Hi, my name is Sage. I use she, they pronouns and you can find me on TikTok and on Twitter at Sage Sindula. Hi, my name is Claire and my pronouns are she, her. You can find me on TikTok at Claire Kenobi and on Twitter at Corky Kenobi. Today we are doing our High Republic uh, wrap-up episode, all of phase one. Uh, Yes, there will be spoilers. Um, But yeah, I think, you know, we've already talked a lot about the High Republic, so we're going to not repeat everything we've already said for people who are like regular listeners. But uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have a good conversation. Hopefully it doesn't go on super long (laughs) because there's a lot to say. Um. Kind of, kind of funny. Our like podcast really started because of the High Republic. You were like, "Does anyone want to be my co-host?" And I was like, mm, "I want to talk about the High Republic," <laughs> and that is how Fulcrum Transmissions, as it is now, came to be, uh, which is super cool and really awesome. Um, yeah, we've had many, many High Republic episodes, uh, and that has gotten us to some really cool places and talked to some really cool people. Yeah, thanks High Republic for that. Wave one happened so long ago. I feel like, um, anyways, Light of the Jedi, such a brilliant in- introduction to the to the series. Um, Charles Soule did an excellent job introducing the characters, introducing the uh, the world building for this time that we've never seen before, um, and really just like setting up these character arcs for characters that we're gonna see through till the end of the series a whole year later. Uh, which is really cool. And uh, Light of the Jedi was, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it a lot better my second read through. Um, When I read it first, it like took me a while to read just because there's so much going on. Uh, But it was, um, after I read it the second time, I was like, wait, this is like so beautiful and actually really great. Uh, That's where we get introduced to the firebrands or at least two of the firebrands. Uh, who end up having this like completely riveting and heartbreaking story by the end of the phase. Uh, Thanks for that, you guys. Luminous authors, why would you do that to me personally? Uh, Anyways, um, yeah, we also get introduced to uh, Bell Zetafar, my beloved, and uh, Loading Great Storm, his master. And, you know, we get to see the Jedi in in their prime, but like also you know, it's it's starting to break apart. <laughs> and uh, yeah. So Light of the Jedi is also like the main book where we see Avar Chris, um, because she's not there in the Rising Storm, which is like obviously a big part of the plot. And then she's sort of there in the Fallen Star because her story um, gets continued more so in the comics in Wave 3, which I think she has written so well in the comics. And I think Kevin Scott did a really great job with that. But Light of the Jedi is where we like really get introduced to her character and we get to sort of like get inside her head and see like who she is at like the start of her arc because she obviously has a very long and like complex story arc and ends up in a very different place from where she started but this is when we sort of get introduced to her like she's the very first Jedi we get introduced to um and she's this like symbol of hope and light and is sort of like the seen as like the ideal Jedi um and then obviously we see sort of like 
her downfall almost as the story progresses and like these horrible things keep happening in the galaxy and like she feels more and more powerless because it's one of the first things we learn about her is she like wants to help people and she like is worried about failing like very early on in light of the jedi she's like it's my responsibility to save these people and then she kind of has to like take a step back and be like i can't put all that on myself and as time goes on she sort of like loses sight of the fact that she can't blame herself for everything and she starts blaming herself for all of these events that she personally didn't prevent until it just builds up and she like literally cracks under all of that pressure. I do think that you bringing up the fact that she like put so much pressure on herself and she's so afraid of failing the Jedi is um, a huge like part of this phase in general. The light of the Jedi, right? That's what phase one is called, um, really shows like how much pressure these particular Jedi are putting on themselves and not in a way that the Clone Wars Jedi do at all. You know, we don't see the, the Jedi in the prequels be so determined to fight simply for the light. You know, the in the Clone Wars, they're fighting the separatists, they're fighting for the Republic. And yeah, we have this theme like, oh, the Jedi are all the Republic, uh, or everyone, all, we are all the Republic and the Jedi are part of that, but like it's specifically for light in life. You know, it's these Jedi are so determined to help everyone that they end up putting so much pressure on themselves and that's why they end up failing. And we see that with so many characters too. We see with Bell, Bell is so, you know, the, his whole arc in the first book in Light of the Jedi, he he doesn't know why he's a Jedi yet, you know, and he's he's pressuring himself into becoming a Jedi so quickly and he's not ready and then he realizes at the end of his arc in Light of the Jedi like, "Oh, wait a second." I am a Jedi because I save people. That's what Jedi do. And that's what, that's what makes me a Jedi. Um, and, you know, he's relieves that pressure off of himself to be perfect and to be this, this person that, you know, Loden wants him to be. He, he is, he finds that he can be that, you know, and it's a, I love that arc for Belle. And, um, Belle, I'm so sorry that you had to go through the things that you did over this past year. I was with there. I was there with you. I was crying too. Don't worry. <laughs> I feel for you. Um, but yeah, I just think that a lot of these, uh, you know, it happened with Stellan too. He's so hard on himself. He, he is, he pressures himself so much to be this perfect Jedi, the council's like poster child. And, you know, that's a huge part of his arc in the fallen star. And, you know, I think that's such a interesting aspect of this of this series is um, just the difference between why these Jedi are fighting and why the prequel Jedi were fighting for different reasons. Yeah. And I think another thing that we get to see a lot more of in this era because of largely because of the fact that there is not an active war going on um, is like more interesting master and apprentice relationships and also just healthier master and apprentice relationships like Loden and Bell obviously right off the bat are a really good example of that and like there's so many others like Reith and Comax, Stellan and Vern who obviously she's been knighted by the time the series starts but we can still like see how real their connection was even like after she is no longer his Padawan, we have Vernon Imri, like, there are so many examples, and they're all so different, and, like, their relationships are so different, and very, like, 
they just get along so well and like have so much respect for each other going both ways and that's something that sort of gets lost in the Clone Wars era when they're whole purpose basically is to fight for the Republic there's not a lot of time for like masters and their apprentices to like actually bond and just take time to like learn together like Ahsoka we see it with where she's literally like starts off being a Padawan and then is immediately fighting in a war and like that is obviously not something that the Jedi of the High Republic have to deal with so we get to see more of like what does this actual process look like of taking on a Padawan and like training them and how it's like a learning curve for both student and teacher and it's just a lot more of a like healthy process in the high republic when there's not the pressure of like training them how to fight in a conflict that is already started right and i love that about the high republic it adds so much context to just the jedi order in itself and what it means to be a jedi and how teaching is such a huge part of it you know because we have like other master and apprentices in in the canon that are not from the higher public, but like you said, like Anakin and Ahsoka are a great um, example of galactic conflict and there's a huge war going on. There's no time for actual teaching and for fun, you know, like think about thinking about like Vernestra and Imri, literally just having fun. And yeah, Vernestra makes everything a teaching moment, but um, for the most part, most of the time we see Imri, he's just having a good time. Um, except for when he's not having a good time, which is, mm, you know what, I'm get so upset over him so quickly, we can't, we can't even go there right now. Um, anyways, um, but as I was saying, I think that, um, like we saw Obi-Wan Kenobi, and um, you know what, I'm gonna think about Obi-Wan Kenobi for the rest of this podcast now. Anyways, um, Obi-Wan and Anakin, we see them, they're the best non-High Republic master and apprentice relationship is literally them at the beginning of attack of the clones um and i see a lot of you know these fun little moments between the master's apprentices in the high republic series they totally fit into that little like the whole like speeder chase scene at the beginning of attack of the clones um attack of the clones you were just the perfect movie anyways um so besides the point um i think that um God, I totally forgot what I was going to say when I started talking about Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> God damn I it. like Kenobi brainworms are like <laughs> right. Um, oh, I was going to talk about Yoda and Luke Skywalker. Um, that's like one of the first real master and apprentice relationships we see in Star Wars um, release date wise, right? So, and you can see, I literally love that Yoda is in the High Republic Midnight Horizon, you are just something else. Um, we see Yoda and Cantum Sai's relationship a lot in that book. And you can see how much Yoda has changed. But really, when I was looking back on it, I was re-watching um, Empire. Is that, that's the one where they, yeah. Um, controversial opinion, Empire Strikes Back is actually my least favorite Star Wars movie. <laughs> Maybe I'm going to get canceled now. Maybe uh, I'm going to get hate on the internet, but it's just the truth. Anyways, I um, was watching it though the other day and uh, I was like, wow, I know so much about Yoda. Like this makes sense. All this, his little goofy things. I'm like, yeah, yeah, he's, he's thinking about Cant of Psy right now. Anyways, but I love that like duality between, you know, his character, a, a constant in the original Skywalker saga in the High Republic. I guess this is kind of moving forward because it's more so like into the dark and test of courage. Um, 
but one thing that we've talked about a lot so I won't like dwell on it too much is like the presence of non-Jedi characters in the High Republic which is not something you'd expect to be like one of the strengths of the series because it's very clearly like about the Jedi but there are a lot of non-Jedi characters who are like honestly some of my favorite characters like at this point um and from very early on like in a test of courage we have um Avon Steros and Honesty Weft who I just love those little guys um and then in Into the Dark we obviously have the Vessel crew who are like one of the highlights of the whole series for me especially Leox I love you King anyway <laughs> shout out to Leox for just shout out to the whole Vessel being. crew yeah you, you know what Geode you too I didn't forget about you man I love you <laughs> Geode flirting in Geode at the club. Um, yeah. <laughs> let me see it. Also, Claudia Gray, um, you making Geode dance with a man at the end of the High Republic annual. I thank you for that. I really do. <laughs> yeah. What's Geode is so funny to me. Like, I, when I was like getting a friend of mine to read Into the Dark and like the early books, and I like had talked about Geode because how could I not? Um, and they thought I was making up that he goes to the club and they read it and they were like, wait, he actually goes to the club. And I'm like, yes, they literally say that he went to a club. Like, what, what's he doing there? I don't know. Like, <laughs> but, um, it's so funny how I was like, I'm read these books and now I'm like, I literally care so much about this character who is like essentially just a rock and for you know what, what like it's not like he has lines yeah no <laughs> I was when I was reading the High Republic Adventures comics to my sister who is a very small child um I was like oh yeah this character is Geode and I'm like pointing him out right because it he's just a rock and my sister was like he's a rock <laughs> and I was like yeah she goes does he talk and I was like no he doesn't have a mouth and she thought that was the funniest thing. Um, and that's why I was like, you know what? Because Star Wars, really, it is for children. It is. Um, and, you know, a lot of these books are adult books. But when it comes down to it, Star Wars is camp. Star Wars is is funny and, uh, and kitty. And I, and yeah, those are the things that make it so good is because yeah, it's a it's a rock, a sentient rock. And people get so mad. Just the existence of Geode making fanboys on the internet mad. Mm, it's so good. It tastes so good. Yeah, I just love Geode. Could talk about him for an hour, but unfortunately <laughs> there are other things to talk about. Um, also shout out to Appy Hollow, who I feel like people don't talk about her enough. Maybe that's just me, but like we should. That's my plug. We should talk about Appy Hollow more. Um but I think that's like definitely a strength of the series is non-Jedi characters and also their relationship with the Jedi is always very different among different characters because we have characters like Avon who are like young and spend a lot of time around Jedi and have a lot of respect for them and are also just like very fascinated by like the Jedi themselves and like the actual like science of like their weapons and everything. Um, and then, you know, we have characters like Afi Hollow who's sort of just like, okay, you guys are just like space wizards. That's fine and cool. Um, and then this is a little later, but we have characters like Jordana Sparkburn who are like kind of a little like disenchanted by the Jedi because of bad things that have happened to them to the point where they're like, well, the Jedi didn't save me here, here, or here. So like, why should I trust them to save me now? And it's just this really interesting spectrum that I think like 
makes this series feel so realistic despite the fact that it is fantasy because it like is realistic that people living in different parts of the galaxy like inner versus outer rim and even like within different areas like would have different thoughts about the Jedi Order based on their experiences so I'm glad that we've gotten to see like a broad spectrum of that in different novels and comics and just like um, non-Jedi characters with like very interesting lives and conflicts of their own so it's not like oh, this person is interesting, but, like, this person is literally a Jedi, so obviously their story is more interesting. Like, it never feels like that, and the non-Jedi characters, to me personally, have some of the most interesting, like, story arcs in the series. I think we talked about this before, but there's, like, an episode of The Clone Wars when these, like, little people are, like, oh, Jedi, Obi-Wan and Anakin and Ahsoka, like, crash land on their planet or whatever. I'm like, oh, Jedi, like, you need to help us. Like, they're blah, 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 blah. The Separatists are attacking. And Obi-Wan says this line where he's like, the Jedi wouldn't be spread so thin and this war would have already been over if planets would just stand up for themselves and not rely on the Jedi. And every time I think about that line, I'm like, that's literally the High Republic adds so much context to that and so much context to the war, the Clone Wars and the fall of the Jedi, because, you know, in this in this era, people in the frontier have gone without the Jedi the entire existence of the galaxy. They're just getting introduced to these Jedi. This is a time when the Republic is not relying on them to literally lead a war. Um, and I think that, you know seeing the people especially from the frontier like Silvestri and how they view being saved by the Jedi or you know taking things into your own hands that is something that adds so much context to why the Jedi didn't weren't successful in the Clone Wars is because you know people relied on them so much and they can only do so much. I was thinking the other day about like how much content per author there is. Justina Ireland wrote three books for this series. That's it. I love her so much. Anyways, uh, A Test of Courage. What a great book, especially for like a, not like for a middle grade novel in the sense that like, oh, it was great even for a middle grade novel, meaning it was great because it was a middle grade novel, because it's aimed for younger people and it explores such important and heavy topics the portrayal of grief in this um book the portrayal of rage were so well executed um and reading them as an adult I was like wow this is a lot even for me (laughs) you know and um honesty wef what a brilliant character to write you know and then we're also introduced to um Vernestra Rowe and Imri Kantaros um love them so much and we already talked a little bit about Avon Staros but uh, again she's everything um I love that these characters uh can relate to such a young audience you know I love that the idea of like a child reading a test of courage and being like whoa like that's so cool that Avon is like my age and also a scientist that's awesome or like someone like Vernestra who is literally the youngest Jedi Knight that we know of uh that's everything to me and then we see them again in out of the shadows um also written by justina ireland (laughs) she wrote a book for each wave which i just think is literally insane she really worked so hard not that not that the other authors didn't of course but that's just amazing to me anyways um (laughs) but yeah i just like i love um how 
the characters can, uh, connect through different books, through different uh, genres. It went from middle grade to YA, you know, it, I love it. It was so, just so great. Vanessa Rowe. <laughs> so yeah, that period. Yeah. <laughs> um, another thing that I love about like all the novels really is like the character, the ages of the characters kind of reflects like the target audience, like the characters in the middle grade novels, especially like Test of Courage, like all the like four major characters are all like 16 or under. Um, and then like in the young adult novels, the characters are like teenagers and like young adults mainly. Um, and then in the adult novels, there's kind of a mix, but like, it's really great to be like, yeah, this is a book for younger people. So here are younger people like struggling with real issues and like working through them. But it's also not like, oh, this is a book about children. So like, I don't really relate to it. Like, even though they're younger characters, there's still things for us to relate to as adults and like people of all ages to enjoy them, which is why I'm always like, trying to convince people to also read the middle grade novels because some people are like oh I just want to read the adult novels or the young adult and I'm like okay that's fine but like the middle grade novels are literally so good like I can't even say it enough um yeah I just I just love that they're able to like take a story that is meant for young people but not like dumb it down and also not make it so that you can't also enjoy it even if you're not like the age of the specific target audience Literally, Race to Crouch Point Tower is literally one of my favorite books in the series, and it is a middle grade novel. And I read that being like, oh, yeah, I'm going to read this middle grade novel, going to read it in one sitting, like it'll take me two hours. And then I'm like on the floor sobbing. Um, okay, okay, I'm an adult. <laughs> um, anyways, yeah, no, I think that it's, I just love that, you know, there's something for everybody uh, when you're reading. High Republic Adventures. Maybe we'll talk about the High Republic Adventures for a second. Um, <laughs> never have I ever loved something so much as the High Republic Adventures, I think. And, you know, I've been through, I've been through a lot of fandoms. I've been, you know, obsessed with a lot of things in Star Wars. I don't think I've ever loved a character more than I love Lula and Zine, um, or a story, in fact, for that matter. Uh, We've had like 12 episodes on these characters, so I won't go crazy. But um, yeah, having a love story between two teenage girls and it's like so healthy and the motifs and themes that are brought up, uh, you know, like missing home and finding what home actually is. That was just great. And I loved that. Uh, yeah. And standing up for yourself against people who were supposed to be your family, but turned out not to be. Um, that scene at the end of, or I guess in the middle of Midnight Horizon with, with Zine and Crix, you know, one of my literal favorite Star Wars scenes ever. She just said, you're trash and I don't care about you anymore and you have no power over me. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? What, like, where was this all my life? Where was this all of my life? <laughs> Anyways, that's just... That's my little soapbox moment about the High Republic adventures, uh, the Daniel Jose Older extended universe within the High Republic. We've talked a lot about, in particular, Zine's story on this podcast. And like in one of our earlier episodes, we even talked about how like we view it personally as a queer allegory. And I think like that really came 
full circle um specifically we're really jumping ahead now but whatever in like midnight horizon and like the later high republic adventures issues where she does have this full circle moment of like she has been through a lot and she was basically cast out by her own people and by someone who she had considered family like her literal best friend um and that weighed down on her for a lot of the series understandable she's very young and that is the only thing she's ever known but to see her come to this point of being like no actually I'm gonna like take control of my own life and move past like the people like Crick's yes but also just like everyone in her life and like in her childhood who had like tried to tell her that some part of her wasn't okay and she finally reaches this point of just being like enough and also she has Lula there and they're in love and I love that for them and I I miss them anyway <laughs> um no, yeah <laughs> can't talk about that still too soon <laughs> not that I literally will refuse to believe that the end to their story as of right now is missing and presumed dead um I like simply refuse to actually believe it I've erased it from my mind Every time your little quote bot tweets that out, I literally die inside just a little bit every time. It's really rude of you. I'm thinking about blocking it, actually. <laughs> Sometimes I think about blocking it. And I'm like, I could just delete it. Like <laughs> that quote. I also whenever it tweets a quote, that's like, it'll just be a short trip. Right. Yeah. I'm like, we can't. I'm pretty sure I tweeted that this morning and it was like 4 a.m. And I was like, I can't do this right now. It's too early in the morning. This is not how I can start my day today. Yeah, making that quote bot was like how I coped. Like the, I think I literally made it the day after Higher Public Adventure 13 came out. And I was like, I miss them so much. Like, I can't think about anything else. It was so bad. Um, But just the whole little squad from those comics my little besties I love them so much thinking about now I'm thinking about Trailer Shadows 5 but that's <laughs> <laughs> not to bring up what has literally made me cry like every day since <laughs> since that comic book came out um but Farzala where are you where are you actually I I, I would like to know personally um I do want to talk about Farzala for a second, though, because he gave us a character that, yes, we have a lot of in Star Wars, but not in this way. He acts as sort of this older brother character. Um, Love that for him. We do have older brother relationships. Obi-Wan and Anakin, Ahsoka and Anakin. But this one's different because (laughs) Farzala is never anything but supportive of Zine and Lula and everyone around him. Um, He has this amazing arc when he has his two little solo comics with Court where he is afraid of dying and then, you know, realizes that he is not going to die. He's just going to join the force. Um, And that brings him a lot of peace. And I'm, I'm glad that we got to see that in a comic for younger people. And also just like, in general, I feel like that's something that's often talked about. Oh, you'll become one with the force, but no one ever actually explores it in such in such depth, you know. And um, so, yeah, seeing that comic every time I reread it, it's one of my favorites in the series. I literally cry. Uh, also, it makes me really upset now, knowing that Farzala could very well be dead. 
you know, Daniel Jose Older, if you foreshadowed that with that comic, I'm going to have words. <laughs> we no, need to because have words. the day that, um, like, Higher Public Adventures 13 was going to come out, I, like, reread all the earlier comics, mm-hmm. and I read that one, and I was like, hmm, it's mm-hmm. really not looking good. Um, yeah. And I was like, if he dies tonight, but it's actually worse, because we don't even know. Because um, we don't even know. Also, Carzala's <laughs> master, Orbitug, rest in peace, girl. You know what? Okay, I think somebody actually asked a question because yeah, it, uh, I'm pulling it up real quick just because we I, while we're on the subject. Uh, like I literally have not processed anything that happened in Eye of the Storm two because it was yeah. not that long and like five million things happen, and also things that are like setting up phase three presumably. And I was like, there's way too much going on right now. So our question comes from Leah Deuce X Valerie. I think I'm pronouncing that right. I'm so sorry if I'm not on Twitter. Um, and it says, how do you think Master Oberdux ended up uh, aboard the Gaze Electric if most of the people from the Star Hopper were on Starlight? I was thinking about this yesterday when I saw that question. Perhaps they did escape, but they escaped on an escape pod because we know now from High Republic 15 that the escape pods on the top half were working. Okay, so hear me out. It's a little far-fetched. However, I have been wrong few times so far. (laughs) What if they got onto an escape pod, got out of there, and then because Markion Rowe is watching, you know, we know he's there. We know he's in that space near near Irem. What if he picked up the escape pod with all of them on it <laughs> and they're on the gaze electric? <laughs> That's my theory. <laughs> That's so evil. The idea yeah. of like all, that whole squad being on the gaze electric, I don't think I'm strong yeah. enough. And also like, but then I'm like, okay, but the idea of like Zine Morala, like, going after Mark is kind of powerful especially because of everything that happened with Cricks. like as she should girl boss <laughs> you know Zine Rala was the closest person in maybe other than Lorna D in all of the High Republic to literally killing yeah Mark yeah he was the closest <laughs> um that is the most powerful thing ever actually uh that whole comic is everything issue four I believe wow love that maybe issue five <laughs> anyways maybe we should stop talking about them and talk about other things that happen in the high republic because uh, this is our wrap-up episode and we probably won't be doing a high republic episode for a while unless you know we do a girl boss of the week on someone from the high republic uh there's a lot of them there are a lot of girl bosses in the high republic uh lorna d we did an entire episode on tempest gunner i could do an entire other one like i could continue to talk about that book for the rest of my life um Kevin Scott, once again, I'm. how do you write women so brilliantly? I really, it baffles me. I don't think I've ever read such an amazing story about uh, a woman, especially in Star Wars, um, maybe with the exception of like the Padme books, but uh, which Queen's Hope comes out soon. Anyways, that is... <laughs> so besides the famous plug for the Padme novels um my literal joker um, go read them sorry Stellan Geos is alive agenda you're getting set aside when is 
E.K. Johnson writing a higher public novel because I want one really bad. Anyways, um, what was I talking about? Oh yeah, Lorna D. What a queen. What a girl boss. Love her to death. Uh, her story is so important to this series in particular, just because, you know, she's one of the villains and love getting backstories on villains that don't just like say, oh, it's okay. They don't apologize for her actions ever, uh, but they give a reason. They give a nice reason. Uh, you can see what led up to where we see her first in uh, The Light of the Jedi. And it sets her up for uh, the rest of the story, the rest of the phase, especially, you know, the High Republic comics, Lorna D versus Avar Chris, immaculate, spectacular, and phenomenal. Wow, I just love to see it. When that cover came out, <laughs> that variant cover came out. Was that the one that came out when we were like literally when on you, recording yes, the so podcast? We recording. <laughs> um, it's so great because the fact that like she, Lorna was always just right there for Avar. Like Avar was almost took her down so many times and she just kept slipping out of her grasp. And the fact that us as the audience was like, wait, I want Avar to catch Lorna because, you know, she's the bad guy and we're rooting for Avar, who's the good guy, quote unquote. However, I don't want them to capture Lorna. I don't want them to do that either because I love Lorna D and she deserves better. She kills people, but, but. She's also sexy. (laughs) Sexy, so it's okay. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I don't think that at all, but maybe I do. Anyways, um, (laughs) but yeah, that's just like, such phenomenal writing to be like oh wow I'm rooting for both the villain and the protagonist that's crazy um and I love that part about the higher public comics in particular um because I never feel that way about Marky on Rowe not to not to burst anyone's bubble there but I was never like oh my god yes Mark yes Marky Rue I hope you win never I would literally jump through the world between worlds to get to the High Republic era. And the first thing I would do is step on Mark Rose's face and not in a good way, like not in a hot and sexy way in like a really, I hate you so much and you killed Loden Greystorm, um, that kind of way. Like we've had anyway. beef from day one of me reading yeah. these books, like end of Light of the Jedi. And I was like, I will fucking end you. Like where this is <laughs> <Literally>. personal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Maybe this episode is a little bit uh, unhinged for a fulcrum transmissions episode <laughs> anyways um i lost where we, we just, are chronologically we just kind of <laughs> we are not chronological anymore are you kidding me we went to the we went to the very end like we went to midnight horizon while we're on the topic of the high republic comics though keeve trennis another girl boss keeves okay i'm sorry high republic 15 not to keep talking about it but like are you kidding me yeah the last panel the last panel I literally looked at it for like 20 minutes I was like on the literal floor like I'm not even joking because I was like this is the last High Republic issue it's like the last night of phase one like there's literally just Eye of the Storm 2 which I read after that and then we're done and like like that whole issue was just so much and then that last page and I was like I'm like emotionally I'm at my limit but it's so mm. Her and Avar's relationship is everything to me. Like literally, I th- there are so many good moments between the two of them that I can't even be like this or this is my favorite. But like just the whole progression of their relationship from like when they first meet and Keeve is completely starstruck by Avar, which like 
relatable um <laughs> until like the end when Keeve literally stops Avar from making like what would have been the biggest mistake of her life um and already she made like some pretty serious mistakes before that and Keeve is the only one who is able to like step in and be there for her and and like remind her of what it means to be a Jedi which I'm really excited to see where Keeve's story is going because not to bring up the lost 20 but um Fulcrum Transmissions bingo card. <laughs> the, the last one. Um, could talk about that for like 12 episodes, but um, just in relation to Keep Trennis, the idea of her leaving the Jedi Order in the future is so interesting to me, especially because of where she's at now, where she's literally like, I'm not the perfect Jedi and like neither is Avar and but like I'm still committed to the Jedi, like with everything in me and like to fighting for the light. And I don't think that she's going to leave the Jedi in a way of like, oh, I'm evil now and I hate the light side. Like, I don't think it's going to be that. But I am very curious to see, like, because I would have thought that something like that could have been like sort of her tipping point would be like something ha- like Avar turning, like using the dark side like she did or like something happening to Skier, which it did. And like I but now those things have happened and she's still like, no, the order is like the way to go. So I'm like, what happens in the future that is the breaking point for her and I have a feeling it might not be something with her but it might be something with we know what the trajectory of the Jedi Order is and like it has to start going downhill pretty quickly to end up where it does in the prequels and I feel like maybe for her if she sees that downhill slope start to happen she's going to be like I like this isn't the order that I want to be a part of and like kind of set off on her own. One of my critiques about like the High Republic phase one uh, is that so much was left to uh, think about, so much was left unanswered, which I think a lot of that, like, is good, like, a certain amount of, like, oh, what happens next is, like, really good. However, there was a lot that I really needed to know, you know, before having a maybe two-year, three-year break in between the next time we see these characters, but Keeve Trennis and Avar Chris, those were, that was an ending that I was, like, that's perfect. That is the perfect place to end their story. And I wasn't convinced until that last panel because I was like, there's no, I, I saw like, there was like a few pages left and I was like, there's no way. There's no way that we're getting the answers that we need. And then they literally, that we got that panel and I was like, you know what? This is perfect because Avar is literally at her lowest point right now. And there is Keith. There is Keith helping her back up. Ugh perfection literally perfection and we've been saying a lot like oh Keeve is Avar's only support system which I still agree with and I do think that Avar should have had a more like supportive system but that's like the that's the reason that she almost fell to the dark side um is because Keeve can't handle all this stuff that has been putting on her this entire series um but then at the end I was like okay but no matter what Keeve Trennis is going to be there for Avar Chris, which, like you were saying, if she leaves the order in the well, when she leaves the order, because we know she does, um, it is going to be all the more heartbreaking for her to leave Avar. Um, maybe Avar dying is the reason why she leaves. Not going to lie, but maybe I. Why yeah. would you say something like that? <laughs> You're done. <laughs> I'm going to get kicked out of the Zoom call right now, but I had to speak my truth there. Um, That would be a reason, maybe, maybe, I don't know. Speaking of another, uh, of someone who 
left the order, Ty Yorick. I really think that her story is going to be the most integral part to phase three of the High Republic and connecting it to the prequel era. Yeah, I agree. I think Ty is going to be a big part going forward because they like they put in so much detail and like set up her character and she literally had like her own like limited short comic series with more information about her and her backstory. And then we didn't see her again after that. So I'm like, what do you... What do you, Kevin Scott, what do you plan? Because literally everything Kevin Scott has ever written in Star Wars is connected somehow. Like, Dooku Jedi Lost, girl. Is required reading for the higher public. I listened to it for the first time, like, I think, like, late December, maybe early January, around the time that, like, Wave 3 stuff started coming out. And, like, literally the entire time I was like, are are you joking? That's, it's crazy like there's so many references to little things in there and like I'm sure there'll be more in the future the way that every story that Kevin Scott writes like somehow ties into Dooku Jedi Lost is so crazy to me and I like obviously there are already connections between Ty York and that audio drama because of um my literal enemy Clias. I can't even I hate that little anyway <laughs> so not relevant at him, all you know what but though i gotta say it him and crick's camera would get along so well they really yeah. would both of them he's so anyway. i hate him so much um but like obviously he was connected to ty in a pretty significant way um and he's sort of like this one of those like jedi like mysteries that they don't talk about in dooku jedi Lost. like there's scenes where like the younglings or i they might be padawans when they're talking about him are like yeah and no one really knows what happened to him but like his secret journals are like around somewhere um and so Ty by extension of that is already connected to that book but like I'm sure whatever she's up to in phase three is gonna be crazy and lead into you know because all of this has to kind of not just lead to the prequels but lead to like the rise of the Sith and like I mean, yeah, Dooku Jedi Lost in particular, because that book spans a large period of time. And like, we see the Jedi Order at a lot of different stages in that book. Um, And plus, because it was written by Kevin Scott, I think it all really is going to tie into that. Yeah, I have so many thoughts about phase three. I'm like, it comes out in two years, I need to like, not think about it every waking minute, but I can't help it. Why? How have we not talked about Reed Silas yet? (laughs) Um, That little guy. You know, loved him in Into the Dark, but I'm telling you, Midnight Horizon is something else. He shines in that novel um, and just his relationships to all the characters. Uh, we get to see a kind of a different side of him. He's more playful in that novel, um, but he's also really going through it. He's he's always going through it, to be honest. He's a great character. I love a Jedi who doesn't want to be a fighter. That's adorable. Reed Silas just has like one of the most well I hope it's not a completed character arc because I want to see him again but like even just in the span of this phase has like such a complete narrative and like has really come so far like you look at who he was at the beginning of Into the Dark and he's just like some kid who wants to read books and like not go to the Outer Rim and by the end of Midnight Horizon like it's crazy how far he has come in that much time um yeah, I won't talk too much about Minute Horizon because we've already talked about that plenty, but him and Ram, just him and everyone, like him and Vern, him and Comac, like just Reith and I think Reith and everyone 
is I really think, the yeah. summary here. <laughs> so true. Um, just I think something that we got so much of in this phase one is just like friendships between kids uh which was really great we talked a little bit about Farzala being a like big brother figure these characters we we see like Ahsoka Tano is one of her only kids in the like prequel era you know even in the whole Skywalker saga really she's like the only teenager we really get um like a full fleshed out character for and she like never hangs out with other people her age except for Barris Offy. I was literally about to say her like one friend her own age was Barris Offy. Who literally <laughs> framed her for murder. Anyways. <laughs> uh Barris, I'm so sorry they did your character so dirty. <laughs> yeah. The High Republic would never. The High Republic would never. Um let Barris Offy go into the world between worlds and end up in the High oh, Republic. True. So true. she would be like, oh my god, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> Remember, okay, remember how I was talking about Master and Apprentice relationships earlier, and I was like, wow, I totally don't remember what I was going to say. Totally remember what I was going to say now. Barris in Luminara, everyone hates Luminara, okay? Not on my watch. Not on my watch. Luminara Unduli is one of the most perfect Jedi. Why? Because she understands compassion and also non-attachment. And to Anakin, who is literally her foil and is meant to be, we're in that episode of the Clone Wars, the Droid Factory episode, one of my favorites, he's, it's literally supposed to show that Anakin is way too attached to Ahsoka, and that is not a good thing because it's an obsessive attachment, a, a possessive attachment, sorry. Um, and the luminarification of all of these Jedi in the High Republic, because they're all like, oh yeah, we all have attachments. We all love people. It is this possessiveness that we need to get rid of. If people read The High Republic, they wouldn't hate Luminara so much. That's all I have to say on that matter. Back to these um, children, though, I think that having these friendships between them is set in, portrayed in such a healthy way, especially like Belle and Buriaga. It's something that I never expected. And then in The Fallen Star, I was like, oh my God, this is everything, actually. This is adorable. Love them to death. Buriaga. Hope you're okay. Stay I know safe. you're out there. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're not dead. Um, I guess I'll fulfill my legal obligation to talk about the firebrands because they're my everything. Like everyone already knows this about me. So it's not like shocking that I would bring them up. Um, and I won't like, obviously we've talked before about how like one of the biggest problems that like we personally had with the series. And like, I know a lot of other people felt the same is that like, we didn't get enough of like all three of them. Um, and like their relationships, particularly like Avar and Stellan, we only really see them fight. Um, and so I won't like go into that a ton because we've already talked about it. Um, but just like what we do get of the three of them and like the individual relationships between all three of them, literally my everything, like they are my favorite like Star Wars trio. Everyone's always like, do you prefer like the originals or the sequels or the prequels trio? And I'm like, I prefer the firebrands, but like stay safe. <laughs> um obviously Avar and Elzar I love them so much they have such a great relationship like light of the Jedi epilogue my everything I think I could quote it from memory because I feel like sometimes I'll just be sitting and I'm like you know what I'm gonna reread that because it's so good um and then Stellan and Elzar also have a great relationship and like that is specifically like in the rising storm one of my favorite scenes in the entire series 
is when Elzar goes to Stellan and asks him for help, partially because it's just such a great moment of like, look, a person who is struggling can reach out and ask for help. And like, that is such an important story to be telling, especially in this universe. Um, and it's one that we don't see enough of in Star Wars because there's obviously a lot of characters who are struggling, but the reason that a lot of them continue to struggle is because they don't ask for help, be it as a result of like, they're not being anyone to help them or just them personally not reaching out. Um, but Elzar does and Stellan is the best person in the entire world. Um, and he is so there for Elzar through it all. And I just love them so much. And Avar and Stellan, like, like I said, we really only got to see them fight, which is so sad because like, just based on what we know about their characters and like the interactions that they did have, I'm just like, I can tell you guys were like unstoppable when you got along better. Like I can just tell they complement each other so well. And like, but they also have a lot of similarities, which I think is the reason why they are clashing a lot of the time is because they both have like such strong ideas and like when those things are in contrast to each other, it creates conflict for the two of them. And I just love this whole dynamic of the three of them and like the roles that each of them play in that relationship. Like obviously a big thing in The Fallen Star is Stellan being like their guiding light basically. Um, but like the other two also have very crucial roles that they play in this trio. And that is the reason why I think it's such a like interesting dynamic that they have. Um, and also just because all three of them individually are very interesting characters in their own right. And now I'm going to get emotional because I miss them. <laughs> anyway, um, also just um, Elzar, man, you're my everything. Yeah, I do um, think that we might actually see more of them as Padawans uh, in the future, just because especially if they're like story ends up being more prevalent uh, in the terms of like the greater history of the Jedi. Like we know that whatever happens with Keith Trennis has a direct impact on Dooku Jedi Lost and on um, the rest, which has an impact on the prequel era. So, you know, it's like, these are all connected. Where are the Firebrand's connections? Other than Elzar Man showing up to talk to Luke Skywalker in Star Wars 20, my literal joker like I'm not even kidding that's why I'm like would I even survive a firebrand's like padawans comic yeah. or story because the singular panel of the firebrands as padawans in star wars 20 I like screamed and cried like I'm not even exaggerating and like I'm there. like what I, yeah, yeah like you had to mute your mic <laughs> yeah um <laughs> so I'm like would I like emotionally be able to hand especially after like two years of not seeing them if they were just like here they are as padawans like would I be okay no but also I'm manifesting it so hard oh my god we didn't even talk about Farzala in court getting knighted the fact that from the very first issue of the Heart Republic Adventures Lula was like all I want is to be the greatest Jedi ever and then it ends with her choosing love over her over her desire to be the greatest Jedi ever because she realizes there are maybe more important things stop <laughs> I will I will never be okay again to be honest um I don't think I'm ever going to recover from that it's been weeks and I'm still here I stayed there I was about to say I stayed there. <laughs> <laughs> right where you left me was actually written about me reading the higher public adventures 
it was like preemptively written writing a song about me love that love that for me oh my god no but like them getting night i mm, it's my everything i'm also thinking about um that one panel in higher public interest 13 where Farzala and Court are just like hanging out being besties and Farzala's like, Court, we've been through so much together and you're my bestie and I love you and whatever happens, we're gonna be fine. And I was like, first of all, what if you're not fine? But also I love them. I love them so much. I need more Court and Farzala content like immediately. Like this is not a request, I need it. when they were just being adorable and just being like we're gonna we're gonna be knights together and I'm like I've seen this film before actually <laughs> I know what happens I know what happens please please don't say that I can't <laughs> love the ending of the high republic adventures I just I just read midnight horizon so I just know what happens after that and I am very upset it's okay I know that Farzala and Lula are fine they're hitting the clubs <laughs> Yeah. Well, phase three opens up. First novel of phase three is is Farzala and Lula hitting the clubs and they turn around at the bar and Geode is right there. And he's like, hey, what's up, guys? I remember you. I saw you on Starlight Beacon. <laughs> shame. Such a shame about that. Went down in flames. <laughs> That's how I imagine Geode talks in my head. No, literally, um, I imagine that exactly like he's just like talks like some guy we didn't even Um, talk about the rising storm (laughs) rising storm girly you're perfect that's my thoughts rising storm you were like probably my third most favorite book that I read last year just book in general what a masterpiece to be honest my yeah my thoughts about the rising storm are are it's really it's, it's perfect the Nihil is very interesting. That book specifically, like the Tempest Runners, um, were very interesting in that book. I feel like I have not thought about like like Pan Ada in so long. He as like I my whole personality used to be hating him. It still is. I still hate his guts, but like he's been dead for some time. So I don't have to think about him, which is the best thing that the High Republic has given me was killing Pan Ada after they like fake killed him like three times, and I was like if he doesn't actually die by the end of Tempest Runner, like, I'll have words because I cannot listen to him anymore. (laughs) I need to issue my formal apology. I did it on Twitter, but I have to do it on the podcast because this is where I said it. I apologize for being overambitious and saying that I was mad that Sabata died before her and Nan can meet. I should have waited until everything was out. Uh, I apologize. Daniel Jose Older, thank you so much for that. Nan and Zapata, my Galapshitos, I love them so much. Uh, Evil Girl Bosses, I'm so glad I got to see that. When that preview came out, I literally screamed and cried. I screamed and cried. It was my personality for like days. No, because Edge of Balance 2, roller coaster. First of all, Stellan, in both Edge of Balance volumes, Stellan looks so good. And I'm like, not to be a... Stellan well I was about to say not to be a Stellan simp on Maine but like I literally tweet about it every single day so <laughs> we're past that um mm-hmm. but he looked good and Lula and Zine were there Kieran uh-huh. literally passed away yeah he did <laughs> um not what I was expecting going into that actually I was just there to see girl bosses and then yeah. they killed my little guy 
And then Everyone, Lily was just like the way that we were like off. the way that like a few episodes of this podcast before that came out, we were like, oh yeah, there's been no like masters who've lost their Padawans yet. Okay, maybe I should not talk anymore ever, actually. <laughs> because that was really that was really distressful. I'm not not to be like, yeah, I'm glad that happened, but also also storytelling wise and for this series I'm like okay we get we're getting to see more of this like attachment thing but the other way around you know we're, yeah. we haven't seen that yet um with a master and apprentice also Vernestra are you okay no because, because we have not seen her since Stellan literally passed away and also we just don't know where she is the fact that mission disaster takes place like a month before the fallen star and then we don't see them after that i'm like okay this was really funny guys but like where are they (laughs) it's not like i need to know actually (laughs) that's actually we can talk about mission disaster because we haven't really talked about it since it was kind of a weird like we read it the day the fallen star came out because it came out digitally but it didn't really release until like march so yeah um I love that book. It's so good. Avon is such an interesting character. The new villains in that book, all girl bosses, as they should, um, all sexy, controversially a brave opinion. Um, <laughs> anyway, that's not what I wanted to talk about, but like it is important. Um, Vern is obviously awesome, as she always is. Imri, oh my god, the amount that Imri has grown up from like out of the shadows to mission to disaster and the way that he is like learning to regulate his emotions and like the emotions of other people he's just my everything like we already have established this but um when I see him in phase three as a Jedi Knight which I'm manifesting every day of my life I'm gonna have to like cry for weeks not to make you cry on the pod again oh no (laughs) imagine phase three opens up and there's this little Padawan, and they're like, Master Kentaros, <laughs> tell me about Vernestra Rowe. I'm just like, I know he's six, 15, 16 now, so like he's not really a little child anymore, but like but in he's my a heart little guy. He is. He is a little guy, and also like Honesty Weft, I love you, and I think that Honesty Weft and Emery Cantero should be boyfriends, but... Okay, I agree so much. I literally didn't <laughs> hear anybody talk about this. Yeah. It, well, I was I was listening to the Mission to Disaster audiobook when it came out. And as I'm listening to this, I'm like, oh my God. Emery and Honesty are literally gay. Yeah, like, like the scene where they first like see each other again and Honesty like throws a rock at him. Like, hello. Half of these characters, I'm like, come here. Come here. Let me God, literally like get behind me. I'll protect you. Phase three is actually about me personally, like defending <laughs> the characters of the High Republic with my life. Oh my God. I don't even think I can talk about this. So this is from at amp553 on Twitter. And it says, Who do you think the hooded figure at the end of Midnight Horizon is? I read Midnight Horizon and I was like, I can't. Claudia at Caludia says, um, when she finished the book I think we were I think we were on a call and like joined the call and was like oh my gosh was that guy at the end of Grisk and I was like we can't be doing this we cannot be doing this because if we start talking about the Grisk the Chiss ascendancy gets too involved 
Um, so no, I don't know who the hooded guy at the end is. Maybe it's definitely probably something to do with like the Evreni. However, yeah. what's her name? Kufa, who called Markion? Oh yeah, cousin. Kufa. I don't think that she was Evreni. I don't either. Because I, I, I don't remember Udi Dis being like that they looked the same or anything exactly. like that. That whole chapter, like I reread <laughs> it really often because she's saying so much. And mm-hmm. I'm like, like, and like, we got two issues of Eye of the Storm and I'm still like, okay, but what was all that? If we're continuing with like lore about hyperspace, which I assume we will be, especially in phase two. Yeah, I definitely. I think that this mummy guy this guy who's wrapped in a bunch of bandages or whatever the hood whatever is going to be in phase two like I think he will be a character or they I don't know if they be pronouns for him but will be a character in phase two and <laughs> um he could be like a like a hyperspace prospector we'll update later if I get a theory going next question same person thank you for all of our questions I appreciate it do you think Belle and Reith have ever met? Okay. <laughs> I I say no. I, I know. Shocking. Shocking. <laughs> However, I know that they have not met because if they had, half of the stuff that had happened in literally all of wave three wouldn't have happened. I'm just saying. Actually, you know, most of the, if Belle and Reith had met before this series even started chronologically, None of it would have happened. And I can prove it. T- say anything that, say literally anything that bad that happened in the entire book, <laughs> in the entire series, actually. And I can, I can decanonize it by Bell and Reef meeting. I think that they have met because they both live on Starlight and have spent a lot of time on Starlight and are around the same age. And also, I believe that Indira Stokes and Comac Vitus are friends for no other reason than that I would like them to be. Um, so I think that they have met. What's your favorite job Cantum Psy had in their gap year? They joined the circus. They joined the circus. It That's doesn't get any it. better. It no. literally doesn't get any better than that. Um, our friend Noah at the Jewish Jedi, love you Noah, did ask who is the most quirked up white boy in the higher public at this moment? Honesty weft especially he's not even in mission to disaster that much but like particularly in mission to disaster (laughs) you're so right (laughs) I can't think of a better one I can't think of a better one to be honest (laughs) (laughs) honestly web quirk up little white boy and his boyfriend Imri Kantaros thank you so much for listening to fulcrum transmissions please feel free to send us questions you can dm them to us on twitter instagram or tiktok If you enjoy our podcast, please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We'd really appreciate it. Next week, we're returning to our series Girl Boss of the Week and talking about Harris and Dula, so feel free to send us any questions you want us to answer about her. Once again, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode.